Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. I love microdosing. I love microdosing. Yesterday, I needed to go practice my drums. And I popped a little microdose gummy. And I'll tell you what happened. I drummed for about a good two hours. That's fabulous. Yeah. I was looking at our new roof, hoping that it wasn't going to leak And I got some anxiety about it. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a gummy just to calm down so I can go to sleep and not worry about this. And I did. And I had a great night's sleep. And I woke up and there was no leak. I've noticed a change in you for a positive change. I like to hear that. Yeah. I feel like your mood is like very centered. I'm sleeping much better. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just that right amount of good. And you can get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com, promo code PANTS. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com, promo code PANTS for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com, promo code PANTS. PANTS. To tell you they're gonna go five, four, three, two, one. Oh. We might be live right now. <laughs> Hi everyone. Hi Kara. Hey Kara. Kara Swisher. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> I'm all right. How are you? Hey girl. Thank you for joining Pants today. <laughs> Good. Nice glasses. I'm trying to let you know what it feels like to interview you. Good call. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay, but I'm not wearing glasses. I'm trying to achieve intimacy. I know, but I'm just okay. All right. You're scaring me terribly. I'm I'm just shaking in my sweats here. Listen, I know, right? Is that why you do it? No, that's not why you wear the glasses. What? Why do you wear the glasses? Oh, no, I can't, because I can't see, actually. I oh. have very bad eye, eye problems. And- well, neither can Leisha, so she can understand that. <laughs> they look great. But Yeah, I was looking it up, and I was like, where's the reason? Where's the reason? Everyone's wondering. No, they're not. Nobody cares. The just world is on the edge of their seats about the glasses with you. <laughs> they are. We're so glad that you're doing pants. Thanks, Kara. Okay, we're really excited that you're here. You need to explain pants to me. What is pants? Why is it called pants? There, I have so many questions. <laughs> when we did the original show, Mia Kirshner, who played Jenny, would always make fun of us. And Leisha and I did everything together. It just, we just kind of fused into one. And so Mia Kirshner called us pants because you can't have one leg without the other. And it stuck. Wow. That's really strange. It's really where it com- came from. Yeah. You could do lots of things, but pants would not be my first. What did you think it meant? I, I was worried, honestly. I was actually, You yes. were? I was like, what kind of pants? Is, you know, there's lots of kinds of pants. There's a lot of pants that, that could be construed here. Panties. 
All kinds. Oh. Nope, just pants. I never thought about the naughty version. Yeah, there's a lot of naughty versions. No, no, no. That would be panties. I know that. Oh, okay. I know. Well, when I first saw it, that's what I thought. thought and that's said. a terrible word. So no. But I also thought, okay, sure, they would. Those two would have a show called Panties. But anyway, let's move on. <laughs> I kind of feel like, sorry, my dog is going to be a part of this whole podcast. I can already tell. I don't want to brag, but I kind of feel like we knew you before you were Kara Swisher, the big famous person. Right? Don't you think? 100%. Oh, okay. We met you in like 2003. We spent a whole Sundance yeah. Festival together. We did. That was really fun. You guys were in the swag rooms getting all the swag. Is we, were, we were in the swag rooms. That was my first experience with swag. I think we all got in a snowball fight. Yeah. Alicia pummeled me down a hill. Yeah. We all were drinking in the backstage of something, sitting in yes. beanbag chairs. Yes, exactly. I recall. We did like a Jeep. An off-roading like Jeep. Thing. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Were you in the car? I was not in the car. I was actually there interviewing, of all people, the head of Netflix and the head of oh. Hulu. No, but I'm just saying at the time, they put us in an interview in the basement because they didn't think streaming. It was the founder of YouTube, the head of Hulu and the head of Netflix, uh, Reed Hastings. And they thought the whole thing was a scam like streaming and the internet and we were trying to tell them that it wasn't and everybody including you guys ignored me about what was coming down the pipe <laughs> we did not we signed up for the whole thing did you we had a business together i did that's not right. that's true yes we did you're right we had our chart together oh our chart yes you did yes you did but i'm talking about what was coming in streaming i was trying to warn you all about the streaming and how television was going to change and this and that how did you know because i'm a reporter that does her work but and that's neither here nor there jennifer beals was the one that was doubtful of everything if you recall right i right. don't think i understood anything you were saying yes yes i think i was just nodding and smiling and mm -hmm. i would chalk it up to stupidity more <laughs> than we thought okay. we knew what we were talking about <laughs> okay all right. i mean we're talking like 2006 2007 maybe even 2005 it was early it was early for so sure. then you started all things digital mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. that year yeah that year uh -huh. how did you know to do that you know when i was at the washington post i was a reporter i covered a lot of things not digital and when i started covering digital i was covering aol from the very in fact i'm writing a memoir right now on this whole thing so i'm kind of remembering a lot of it when i saw it for the first time when i i was like oh this is going to change everything just like if you saw you know, a light bulb for the first time where you saw a car or radio or television, it's sort of obvious that you can look at it and see where it leads. And so when I saw the internet for the first time and online services, I was sort of like, well, this is going to change everything, including, you know, books and music and entertainment and communications and news and everything else. So it's, I guess my history degree did, did me well. I understood changes in technology over time. So... That's why. Okay, walk me through when you say, when I saw the internet for the first time. What does that mean? Um, well, like someone took you in a back room and they were like, Kara, <laughs> get over here, here's the internet. I'm not going to believe it. Check out Amazon. No, Amazon was later, actually, which was interesting. I met him when he had very few employees. He took me around to his warehouse, as Jeff did. He had just started the company and was looking for press. I was at the Wall Street Journal at this point, I think. So I had started looking at it because I was dating someone who was in Russia. And I started using these FTPs to communicate. We were communicating and I thought, this is really interesting. And I started to sort of explore modems and online tools and started using AOL and a bunch of stuff pretty early. And as I started using it, it made perfect sense. It was like, oh, this will be the next thing. This will be the next communications. And it was super crude, but I happened to be at Duke on a fellowship teaching. And I was able to download a book into my computer. And it was Calvin and Hobbes. It was like a comic book. And I was like, oh, I can download a book. Like, whoa, 
that's big. They took forever. And I got yelled at for messing up the system. But I was like, I downloaded a book. And they were like, who cares? And I'm like, are you kidding? If I can download a book, I can download anything that's digitizable. And I know, did you ever see uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Do you remember when Mike TV? Uh, yes. A million times. Yes. When Mike TV put the chocolate bar and moved it over a thing. That's what it reminded me. I was like, I was like, Mike TV, Willy Wonka, this is what just happened. They were sort of like, who cares? And I was like, no, it's going to, everything that can be digitized will be digitized. I said to myself, like everything. And then I started to look around and I'm like, everything can be digitized. Everything, almost everything, not people, but people's, people's sentiments, people's ideas. I mean, sooner or later. You're the one who told us about Twitter. Yes, exactly. I was like, this is going to be a big thing. You did. But I was also into mobile phones before that. That was another thing I got really interested in. They had a mobile phone at the Washington Post in a suitcase and I took it and I used it. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Then they had a slightly bigger one, like the kind of the Gordon Gecko phone that he used in Wall Street. Mm -hmm. And I used that. And then I got another one, a little slightly smaller, but still a brick, essentially. Was it in the suitcase? Yeah, the original one. Because I had one in a suitcase on tour and we'd zip it open and and take it off the thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I was sort of like, this is going to be amazing. And so I used to wander around the post and like, you're not going to have a phone on your desk, just so you know, you have a cell phone. And that computer is going to be portable, and you're going to have it in your hand and all, you know, and people would be like, they're like, here comes the crazy lady. Yeah, they were like, go away. And at one point, when I was dating someone, I got a, I had a cell phone, a big one, and I was in Provincetown. And I, I wandered out into the harbor and I wandered out as far as I could because it was hard to get a signal at the time. The person I was dating broke up with me probably over this, but I was like, I can talk to people over the signal. Can you, do you understand? And then they laughed at me and they laughed at me. It was very painful, but I did just fine. I was correct. And so I was really, the mobile phone thing was even more important to me. And then when it combined with the internet, I was like, oh, now is the time. You knew the iPhone was going to be coming out before... Like, could you, were you able to predict that before Apple even made that announcement? Well, interestingly, we, in, in, me and Walt Mossberg, who was my partner through this, who, who was the only other person who really was, as, I think, really forward thinking. He was super forward thinking about these things. And then he wrote a column for the Wall Street Journal and recruited me to write about this for the Wall Street Journal. And, and when I was hired at the journal, all the people who were there made fun of me. The media reporters, especially, who were covering Hollywood studios, were like, oh, you're covering Ponzi schemes and uh, CB radio. I'm like, no, I'm covering the thing that's going to decimate your industry, but just wait five years and then you're fucked. <laughs> we had talked to Steve Jobs the year before we did an interview with him when he was, before he he had introduced the iPod and some other things, you know, and the iPod, you could see it could leap to a phone, you know, as you looked at it, it was similar. It was a hard drive inside of a box, yeah. essentially. On stage, we said, we think you're doing a phone. And he was like, absolutely not. I don't like jumping through orifices, which is the term he used, which was gross. And he meant telco companies. He didn't want to like deal with the big AT&Ts of the world and Verizons and et cetera. And we were like, well, you're really good at jumping through orifices. Why wouldn't you? And he lied. He just lied to us. They were, it was in development. And then he introduced it later. And so the next year we had him on stage and we're like, you lied to us. And he's like, yes, I did. Yes, I absolutely lied to you. Which is sort of like, what do you, where do you go from there? You're like, oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. And how do you trust him from then on? Yeah. And then when that was there with the apps, that was another thing you started to start to see where it was going because the apps were, were a beautiful way of navigating a phone and having all kinds of information. And as the app store started really going, you could see you know, the phone by itself is useless without things to do on it. And it's also useless without wireless coverage that's good. Each of the parts had to come together. And so you had to have 
things that would work on them that you could do, whether they're games or communications or stuff like that. And so when you started to see the pieces coming together in that beautiful first iPhone, although if you look at the old iPhone, it's like, what is this? You know, it's actually kind of still beautiful. I still have my first iPhone. You started to see where it was going very quickly. I rebelled against the iPhone. I loved the BlackBerry. Me too. Yeah. And I resisted for years. I may have been one of the last people to get an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love the BlackBerry. The little ball is fun. The little rolling. I ball. just like the tactile buttons. Did you use the smaller one? Yeah, it's like that big. Yeah, of course. I would just it was always like a square. Yeah, yeah. It was like that big. When I was pregnant, I carried it into the delivery room. I had it in my hand. I was, I was, you know, I was, I, I was laboring, and I was. Bored. What were you doing? I was texting Walt Mossberg. I was bored. I was texting oh, Walt bored. Mossberg, like, oh, sure. I'm four centimeters and five centimeters, and then suddenly they had a crack. Birth is so boring. What birth is so boring? Have you had the children? No. <laughs> No, but I mean, no, but it's like you wait and it hurts and you wait and you, okay. I don't know. In any case, sometimes it's fast, but it's not usually. So I was doing that. And then I had an emergency C-section and they rushed me into the room and I had it in my hand and I was in a clean operating room and they were like, Kara. And I'm like, what? Cause I had gotten a, some drugs. So from the neck down, I couldn't feel, but it was sitting in my hand, the squ- you know, how it fits like this. Yeah. And <laughs> They go, Carol, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I'm having a baby. Please don't speak to me like this. And then they look down. I'm like, oh, something is wrong with me. And so they wrapped it in plastic. They wrapped and they taped it. And then it buzzed throughout the delivery. It was like, eh, eh, eh. Couldn't feel it, but I could hear it. And so it was sitting in my hand when my son Louis was born. It was great. And to think now you could just FaceTime a friend and be like, look where I am. This hurts. I'm miserable. No. No, you can't. Oh, no. You shouldn't do that. People, I re- don't, highly do not recommend doing well, that. Well, if I ever give birth, I will definitely not ever do that. You're not going to give birth. I have no intention to, no. Nobody needs to see that. All right. Okay. Right? <laughs> pants would be there, right? Yes. You know, oh, pants. of course. I mean, you can't. I can't do anything without pants. We would cover the whole thing. Jesus Christ. Yeah, you guys should have kids. They're great. Kids are great. I'm on my third. I may have a fourth, so. Rocket money. I used rocket money again last week. How many are you okay? I don't know. You have a I get lot these, of subscriptions you forget I know. about. You know what it is? Because I get these apps and you have to pay for everything you get these days. And I think, all right, well, I'll use this for a few days, but and I'll cancel it, but I forget. And, and you, you have forget to have every your... week that you forgot last week. Yes. Thank God you have Rocket Money. Before I started using Rocket Money myself, I thought I had about like, I don't know, six subscriptions. No, Kate. I had like fifteen. Fifteen? Yes. I was like, clear it, clear it, clear it, get rid of it. And Rocket Money is like, we have your back. Because Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so you can start to grow your savings. Plus, Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash pants. That's rocketmoney.com slash pants. Say it, Kate. That's rocketmoney.com slash pants. I remember when you were telling us about the iPhone, you were, you were like, it's going to blow your fucking mind. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're like, you can touch it and move it. And we were like, not that we ever thought you were crazy. I don't want this to come it's across okay. like that. But you did always deliver news that was kind of unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And then you would prove everyone wrong. Yeah. Have you been that? Were you that way as a kid? Um, 
No, I just think I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, I was going to go into the foreign service. I wanted to be a spy. And so I spent a lot of time collecting information and bringing it together. What kind of spy would you want to be? Military intelligence. Military intelligence. Yes. Mil- so where would you work? Where Where did you see yourself? Uh, anywhere they sent me. Probably China, because my majors were propaganda, which I, that's why I'm so up to speed on what Trump's doing right now. And the uses of technology for propaganda, not just, not just technology itself, but, you know, a lot of the stuff that's happening today, which I I've written read about many years ago, I was like, this is coming. This, this stuff is going to come at us. Like you can't believe. I think I would have studied the uses of propaganda, both aggressively and defensively to destabilize countries and things like that. I read this CIA agent said once that each side doesn't think that they're the bad guy. And that's the whole problem. They all think they're doing the right thing. That's what she said. Hmm. Perhaps. I think Russia's got to know what it's doing is really nefarious. I mean, they didn't win the, the Cold War, and so they were winning the, the cyber war is what's happening. And it's much less expensive. They don't have to maintain troops. I mean, they have troops and everything else, but they really lost badly to the U.S. in, in that sense. So it was really important that they double down in cyber because it's inexpensive, it's easy to manipulate, and and Facebook and others make the tools for them to do it. It's not, they, they didn't hack anything. They just were customers of these social media. Sites. Right now, what would you say is something that we're not paying attention to that we should? I think probably uh, the vaccine stuff. I'm focused a lot on the vaccine stuff. I'm doing a lot of podcasts on the technology behind vaccine delivery, uh, you know, people using it, and especially the propaganda around it. Facebook just now, after years of reporters complaining about it, got rid of one of the big anti-vax groups on Facebook, which had been spreading disinformation about about vaccines and then was using it to organize these groups. You ever seen them get together? And what they did is they shifted from anti-vax into QAnon. You know, then you have all these conspiracy theories and the things they're suggesting are get your guns, they're, you know, they're coming for you, surround the White House, all this stuff. So it's all sort of mushmashed into vax, anti-vaxxers, QAnon, and people who really want to foment civil unrest and civil- And yoga, right? Aren't they getting a lot of yoga, yoga. moms? Uh, you know, they're getting a lot more people than you think. Yeah. A friend of mine here in D.C. actually was telling me she comes from a small town in Indiana. They were convinced Antifa was coming to their town to wreck their downtown. This is a shitty little town in Indiana. It's nothing like no one wants to go to this little town in Indiana. It's fine for people who live there. But they were convinced that there was going to be a busload of Antifas from Chicago were planning to come down and wreck their downtown. Oh, my God. Right. Which was crazy, which was like us. And so they were going on about it. And my friend who lives here was writing them like, hey, Antifa's not interested in our little town and they're not getting on a bus. It was sort of like the caravans that Trump pushed. It's all fake news reports that were made to look real, which were, was really fascinating. And on, if, you, if it wasn't so devastating, it was fascinating. And so when it didn't happen, they were like, oh, we fended them off. Like it was, oh my God. They didn't even say, oh my God, we're such idiots. We, we, we fell wrong, for the yeah. alligator in the toilet mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, we usually, when you believe those things, you're like, oh my God, it wasn't, Y2K didn't happen. Yeah, I fell for but it. But it was like the caravans or anything. I have a question. This may be a, this may be a dumb question, but I'm curious. Where do you think- Nope, there's no such thing. There, I say that too, but sometimes I still think I ask a dumb question. Okay. With your ex- expertise, I've always wondered, where does this misinformation begin? What's the origin of it? Is it just some random person in their basement? No, 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 no. It's quite a co- a coordinated. I mean, it was originally with the Russians and some and Iranians. Chinese are very deeply. They have government groups that do. So one of these countries drops a seed and let's say Facebook. Right. And then it's an organized thing where they start all these other people. Yes. And they go up and down the chain. They'll start in a, like a, a right wing group and then it'll bubble up and it'll bubble up and then Trump will tweet it. 
and then it'll bubble back down. There's a really good book, and I'm blanking on the name, Andrew Marantz, he works for The New Yorker, and he's written a book about this. You can see the pathways that it goes through. And so Facebook has become one of the most important pathways for these people to get it into Facebook, and then it gets it moves up the, the shitty information food chain, but it's an information food chain. And then it goes back down and up and down, and then it reinforces itself because, oh, I saw it here, but I saw it here. And it, it's a really interesting, if you look at the top 10 stories on Facebook, they're all right wing. They're like almost all. There's all these people creating these right-wing media empires, really, which they have, they'll have a podcast, they'll have a radio show, they'll be on Facebook. Uh, ben Shapiro is another one who's very popular. Um, Megan Kelly's trying to start one. And then Alex Jones, of course, is the original one of those who, who got kicked off a lot of these platforms. Steve Bannon has one, you know, and he got kicked off of YouTube. I think he got totally kicked off. Facebook didn't kick him off. They're the only one. Why are they letting them do that? Because it's just freedom of speech? No, it's because he's he hasn't broken the rules enough. He's broken the rules, but not enough. Well, he broke the enough rules for Twitter because didn't Twitter boot him off? Yes, of course they did. It's ridiculous. What This happened when Alex Jones happened. I happened to be doing a big interview with Mark Zuckerberg. And he and I got in a big argument with Alex Jones. I'm like, you're kicking him off. He's breaking your rules. He's just gaming you. They game these, these they, you know, they take advantage of the well-meaning both sidesism of these executive, essentially. We have to have all the sides. And you're like, you really don't have to have all the sides if they're lying. He was arguing with me about it. And I'm like, you're taking him off. I, in three weeks, I, four weeks, whatever, it's coming off. And of course he did eventually. But what was interesting is during that interview, when we were arguing about Alex Jones, he got frustrated and he said, let's shift to the Holocaust deniers. And I was like, Okay. He went into it. He's like, as a Jew, he did that thing because he's Jewish. Uh, and I was like, don't do that. Don't, don't. Oh, so bad. I know where this is going. And you're going to say, I'm still going to defend them. And instead of saying that, which is reasonable enough, he said, Holocaust deniers don't mean to lie, which just blew up like a Roman candle when it got out, this interview. What I did in that interview, instead of arguing with him, I was like, oh, they don't, huh? I, they kind of, that's kind of in the job description of a Holocaust denier is to lie, but okay, tell me about it. And then he proceeded to talk about it and saying that they have intentions we don't know. And I was like, okay, tell me more. It was weird. What it is is someone who is not very educated. That's so weird. Well, what you did was you let him talk. You give people room to talk. They just have room to dig themselves into a hole and they don't realize it. Especially someone who's not, who's so wealthy, he's never pushed back against all day long. Everybody agrees. Exactly. You know that from exactly. Hollywood, right? Some stupid Hollywood executive just meammers on to you and you have to sit there and go, oh, that's fascinating. You're right. Never. never. <laughs> so anyway, so he did this. It blew up like a Roman candle and he still was like sticking to this ridiculous viewpoint. I, and I was like, these are dangerous and corrosive and lies and they're gaming you and your platform's being misused. And he stuck to it. And then this year, he suddenly was like, we're taking off all Holocaust deniers. I was like, what? Why did it take two years to have your expensive education, which we paid hmm. for, you know, democracy paid for? And that was what was really fascinating, like to watch this thing. And everyone went back to that. They're like, oh, care, it worked. I'm like, it took two years of untold damage on these mm -hmm. platforms before one person, the penny dropped for one person. And, the, and he doesn't have any accountability because he can't be fired. He's one of the richest people in the world. He controls that company fully by himself, you know, via the stock, the way the stock is set up. I don't think I helped at all because it didn't change anything. Well, how does it, how does it stop? Like misinformation and holding people accountable? Well, the platforms can decide, but the biggest one, which is Facebook, is under pressure from conservatives who are putting out this nonsense idea that they're discriminated against, which they aren't. It's nonsense. And when you talk to them off the record, they literally say, 
we know it's not, we're not discriminated on. In fact, it's good for us. And you're sort of like, I really, if not for COVID, I would reach over this table and punch you in the face. Yeah, it's evil. Well, since Zuckerberg owns or Facebook owns Instagram, do you think Instagram is going to fall into that eventually if it has not? Well, there's a lot of stuff on Instagram. There's a lot of anti-vax stuff on Instagram. They've tried harder on Instagram because it's more of a fun place to be. But if you go down certain alleys on Instagram, there's all kinds of misinformation there. It's just not as obvious as it is on Facebook because within the groups, um, because you don't get to see it. If you walk down the street and you see a billboard or you're watching television, everybody sees that shitty ad or that crappy billboard, right? Everybody sees it. In online, they can send a million different lies to a million different people that are all different based on other things they collected from you, all your data. And so they can streamline the, the lie to fit you. It's called targeting to fit you directly. Like what would affect Leisha? What would affect Kate are very different things. And what they do it is it's not so much through ads, by the way. The ads are not where the action is. The action is in content, in the fake content that goes on. And they could they could monitor them. They could do a better job cleaning it out. But it's it's a flood of sewage that's coming. This across. is like that documentary on Netflix that I just watched that scared the shit out of yeah. me. Social dilemma. The social. That's yes. by a guy I've interviewed a bunch. Yeah, Tristan Harris. He worked at Google and worked at. He knows these. He's a tech person. By the way, these companies also manipulate you to push that button, to buy that thing, to convince you, to suggest you, and you like them because they're helpful in some yes. ways. But you're a cheap date to all these tech. I mean, that's the real story: is that you you get a free dating app, or you get a map, or you get communications, or you use Zoom, but you're you're giving away all your information, and so you're a cheap date. Like everyone's, oh, I get a lot. I'm like, well, why are they the richest people in the world? Why are those the biggest companies in the world? Did you get any of that trade? And when you think of the actual trade, it's like dealing with a casino at Las Vegas. You're the sucker. If you don't see the sucker in the room, you don't realize you yourself are the sucker. Those ads on Instagram one time got me and I bought something and I was like, oh, this is just a bunch of crap. Yeah. I have to say. I'm not impressed with the Instagram ads. Wow. Well, you know, they're very compelling though, right? You kind of were like, ooh, I want those flats. Yeah, they know me. Those stretchy yoga pants look fantastic. Yeah, they know me. Look at those cozy slippers. I don't use Instagram. Do you miss the 70s? Do you do you miss the days when none of this existed? Or do you like kind of feed off of it? You love it. No, I love it. I love it. Are you kidding? I was the one wandering around Provincetown and Harbor ignoring a date uh, so I could talk on a phone. I love technology. I know. But now that you see like sort of the bad, the evil side of it all, does it make you? No, no, no. Because the original promise was to do things like educate people, to bring people together, to show commonality. It's You can make it that way. I mean, let's talk about TikTok, for example, which let's leave across the Chinese stuff. That's not my generation. I don't know TikTok. Yes, you do. I'm it's not a TikToker. We are not TikTokers, but. We know it. You should. It's really great. It's really great. So leaving aside the issues around Chinese surveillance, I wrote a big column about using TikTok a lot because it was so entertaining and lovely. And except I use it on a burner phone because I don't trust the Chinese at all, like in any way. So it was an interesting column. But if you go on TikTok, there's a different way to do algorithms that goes around your likes, not around your friends. And it creates a very different experience. For some reason, the other day I was getting a lot of tie-dye. I don't know why, but they were delightful. I was like, oh, I'll watch some tie-dyeing being done. It is an addictive issue. <laughs> well, look at your painting behind you. I understand. Oh, yeah. Yes, it's true. But what's interesting is that it, it goes on your likes. And so you have a much more 
pleasant experience. There's, it doesn't pull you into hatred. And I think like Snapchat's the same thing. Snapchat is a very easy communication. It doesn't descend you into madness. It doesn't move you like YouTube does. Like you start on one video about anti-vax and you go down the road of anti, you know what I mean? It, it pushes you down into things, the recommendations. And so there are ways of designing this that are either entertaining, which is fine. It's okay to be entertained uh, or delightful or educational. Like uh, you don't have kids, but I do. And, and doing Zoom school sucks it sucks i've heard it's kids. terrible it's so un- non-creative and so uh deadening essentially so why doesn't some of that creativity go into that like how could you do online learning in a way there's all these ways you can teach people and bring people together it doesn't have to be architected this way it can be architected not for enragement engagement and enragement it can be architected for uh, context intelligence delightfulness there's they don't have to build it this way it's just easiest to make the money by building it this way. I have seen some amazing TikToks where I'm like on the floor laughing because there are some yeah. of the most genius creative. things I've ever seen. So creative. creative. They're brilliant. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, where did these people come from? But it's too much pressure for me to download it and then add more content on top of the Instagram content and the blotty blog content. Yeah, you can just consume it. You know what I mean? I think actually some of a lot of these events going, I've done a bunch of events online and they're great. And it's really interesting. It's a really interesting way to do it. Now, this context of us in little boxes seems kind of like, well, how could this be done in some way that's more, even more interesting going forward? Because this vaccine thing is not behind us. And by the way, there's 10 novel vac- viruses right behind that one. Um, that we have Will to start you tell to- us about the vaccines sure. before our time runs out? Sure. I'm fascinated. Yeah, so I've what done- do you think? Yeah, I, I am too. I want to know what we don't so know. So I've done a bunch of interviews with a lot of the vaccine people. I did Monsef Slawi, who's head of Operation Warp Speed. He's terrific, actually. One of the few Trump administration appointees who's actually very competent. You know, everyone was saying Trump was promising it by election. And he was like, no, no, it's going to be, you know, these, these vaccines are moving at incredible speed. And some of them, like the Pfizer one, which is done by this couple in Germany, this Turkish immigrants, was not done with government help. Just on distribution, the government is going to help, dis- gave them money to Pfizer to distribute it. But it was actually done by a small, innovative company in Germany, by these two scientists who had a lot of home runs before. The problem with some of these vaccines, a couple things. One is that particular vaccine, it has to be frozen almost. It's a really low speed. And so it's difficult to get it out there. I mean, the, the, the distribution is where the real problem is going to be. So, and it takes two doses and most people, you know, we don't brush their teeth every night. Like you can't get them to come back for the second dose. Um, and, and it's difficult. So that's one. The second one by Moderna is, a, is just refrigerated essentially a little, a very cold refrigeration, but refrigeration. And so as many vaccines are, and that's better, but that's also two. There's another one being done by Oxford and think AstraZeneca, I think it is. These are cooperative efforts, which is not going to be cold. So they're moving at an incredible, it is in fact, warp speed of vaccine trials. And so they're going to get out by December and you're going to first see people who have pre-existing conditions or older people and get them first. People who are going to go into the hospital and clog up our Mm -hmm. hospital system. Because right now, if you have other things, you're screwed, like because our hospitals are at such capacity with coronavirus. We want to move people out of the hospital. And you don't want to give vaccines to the people that will do fine at home with this illness. You want to move, get rid of the people that are crowding the hospitals. And so that's the first people, then healthcare workers, obviously frontline healthcare workers, and then the general public by March or March or April, essentially. Now, the problem is, even though they have 95% efficacy, only half the United States is going to take it. And then some it's not going to work on. And so only about 36% of the population is going to get it, which means there's going to be a lot of people 
still sick, combined with the lack of masking and social, social distancing, which is sort of both homicidal and suicidal at the same time, which is really kind of interesting. It's an interesting part of our society that I think I was aware of, but a lot of people weren't. It's, it's going to be a very hard road to get anything back to normal until uh, the fall of next year. The, you think the fall of 2021? It'll be better in the spring like it was this summer, right? It'll be pleasant enough. But it's certainly, you right. have to social distance. You're going to have to wear masks. A pleasant COVID season. <laughs> well, yeah. you know what I mean? There was a period <laughs> where it went low in, mo- in the places that were doing masking and social distancing. You then have these like people in other states that have decided this is, this is the hill they want to literally die on. They, it's like, oh my God, Patrick Henry did not mean this. Yeah, they, they don't give a shit. You know, you don't get to like drive through stoplights. You don't get, there's all kinds of freedom things. And it, and it goes to the same speech things on the internet where they go on and on as they should, that Trump should be able to say what he wants and not be edited in any way or, or warned, giving warnings. And then I always get notes. They're like, how can a reporter not believe in the first amendment? I said, I actually do, but I don't believe you've ever read the first amendment. It says Congress shall make no law. It doesn't say Facebook. It doesn't say Twitter. You don't have free speech. actually. In case you're interested, <laughs> it just, you need to read it. Yes. Like, that's not what it says. Mm-hmm. That's a burn. That's a burn. <laughs> yeah. I, they're like, that's not what it says. I'm like, you know what? It's like 14 words. You really can, it's not, or whoever. It's the it first is. amendment. <laughs> anyway, they don't, haven't read it. That's the problem is that they don't understand. They feel like, cause they've gotten so used to considering Twitter and Facebook, the public square, when it's not the public square, it's a for-profit square that can do anything it wants. And it's really bad at gatekeeping and it's actually inconsistent and they do stupid things like the Hunter Biden yes. New York Post thing was just stupid. And then it gives fodder to these people to, to get on their high ridiculous false horses and scream at everyone. And so I'm not sure what's gonna happen because so much of this is kabuki, but it then becomes real, right? So everything Trump's doing is kabuki. It does, shockingly. But it still has real world implications. Exactly, it all blend, It all blends together and it's like a tinderbox mm-hmm. of shit that we're gonna have yes. to deal with. And he knows it Of best. course he does. He knows Absolutely. it Absolutely. He's really good at it. That's- I wouldn't say this podcast made me feel better. Oh, what can make you feel better? Uh, electric bikes are cool. There's, there's all these cool, there's cool electric bikes coming and they're wonderful. Keep your eye on September 2021. So before we go. <laughs> the neural links, the stuff with space is cool. The stuff that Elon Musk is doing. Is cool. Yeah. So when we, when we talk to you like in five years or whatever, and we're like, remember when you said da, 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 on our podcast back in 2020, what, what's that um, going to be? I think you have to recognize that everything that's happening, this, this pandemic has accelerated every trend that was already occurring. Retail was already in distress. Now it's finished. So much of retail is finished. Your business, I'm sorry to tell you, has not for you because your talent, uh, but for the way it's set up, the Hollywood system of studios, done, 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 done. Not totally. There's going to be like, it's going to be more like Netflix-like companies, right? That understand technology along with talent, along with investment in content. Any company that doesn't invest in the product or whatever the product happens to be is finished. Our airlines haven't been innovative for years. They've been financial instruments that Wall Street yanks around. Even a company like Disney just announcing it's not giving out dividends, that's a big deal. It means they couldn't think of anything to invest in to make their products better or to make new products. And anytime a company does that, I'm like, you need to lie down because you're dead. Wow. You can't do that. You ha- Like Amazon is big because they continue to invest. Netflix is getting bigger. They continue to invest. And all the companies that have done well in this pandemic are all tech companies, every one of them. Hotels, fin- fi- the way they were, finished. Restaurants, finished. 
And that means these companies are going to get too big. And that means the government needs to step in and break them up a little bit. You know, even if they're innovative and doing things, they will eventually quash innovation. And so that's what I'm, I'm spending a lot of time talking to legislators and regulators right now. I had a, a meeting today with a pretty high ranking legislator and then a regulator. And I'm like, here's the things that you can't let them buy this. They can't do this because then they can start sucking up everything. And, and you'll like it because it's like Amazon is great, except oh, they make things, they control the marketplace and they sell you things and they undercut other retailers and therefore they, they become the company store. And you'll be happy because they deliver it to you in 14 seconds. This sounds horrible. I'm not looking forward to the next five years, I have to say. But there's going to be cool stuff in health. There's going to be cool, cool, cool stuff in health, longevity, health, longevity, space stuff is pretty cool. Some of the stuff oh around AI is interesting if it can yeah. be used properly in order to deal with our climate change. And my biggest thing is climate change tech. I'm focused really heavily on who is going to be the world's first trillionaire. And I think it's going to be a climate change uh, technology person who's going to figure out. yes. That's gigantic. Climate change tech is going to move so fast. And, and transportation tech is really cool. Some of the stuff we're on electric cars. Well, that's great news. Leave us with some hope here, Kara. No time travel. What would you do if you could go back in time, Pam? I just want to visit my mom. That's all I want right now. Uh -huh. And I can't. And so if there's a time machine where I can just like get into something and then boop, I'm in our living room. I'll be oh, so happy. Sweet. What about you, other pants? Like jetpacks? No jetpacks. No, that's not, they're not good. Flying cars? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'd go back to Jesus and say, what the fuck? Oh, that's right. You want to go that? <laughs> I'd go all the way yeah. back. I'd want to see that. I'd want to understand that. Better. I just want to go across the country. That's all. I would like, I would drop some acid at Woodstock and see some great musicians. Yeah, well, or something. I don't know if it would be entertaining. <laughs> For fun. Kara, thank you. You you left us terrified. 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 <laughs> but incredibly informed. <laughs> How's the show doing? I love the show. Oh, good. Are you going to test and everything? Do the testing thing? Get Three times a week. We start filming in two weeks. Three times a week. You bubble up. Right? You can't really bubble no, up. No, no. no one can be a fascist. You just have to give the honor system and say, right. we're all going to be smart, right? Mercifully, we're in a, we have a very right, responsible yeah. uh, group of people with us. We get tested three times a week. Good. That's what you good. do. It's just logic. Good. That's exciting. It's I'm excited you're doing a podcast following in my, my five years now footsteps. I appreciate it. Totally. All right. Well, we love you, Kara. Thank All you, right. Kara. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Kara. Bye. 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 See you guys later. Thanks. Bye. Pants. Pants. Thank you for listening to Pants, a podcast brought to you by best friends, Leisha Haley and Kate Menig. Pants is produced and edited by Rachel Shelley. That's me here in the UK. Please listen and subscribe on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want us to keep going, hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Pants Pod. If you like us, leave a review on iTunes. You can email us a question at pantspodcast at yahoo.com and we'll answer a few every week. Well, most weeks. Theme song is by Carolina Parra from the band CSS. Graphics are by Love Fox. Pants. Pants.